Well, good morning. How are you? I know the answer. You're having a great morning so far. Excellent. Well, do you know what? I'm going to start a new series today. My iPad is trying desperately to install new software. No. Later. Okay, so the title of my new series is Crisis, What Crisis? I'll be honest with you, that title has changed several times this week, may change next week. I might give it a new title each week. But that's the preacher's prerogative, I reckon. Subtitle is, is Doing Money God's Way. And part one this week is entitled My Way, Their Way, or God's Way. Now, I know you're very, very excited. I can tell by your faces that I am starting a series on everyone's favorite topic, which is money. I've heard it said that that if you want to fill a church, preach about sex. If you want to empty it, (laughs) talk about people's money. Fortunately, I know you're all far more mature than that. But for some reason, talking about money in church gets people excited. Now, pastor, I'm fine with you addressing issues of the heart. You can talk about my relationships. I'll even let you touch my raw nerves as long as you do it gently. But meddling with my money, that's just a step too far. I have pastored on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean, And the perception in England is that you don't talk about money. If you're going to take up an offering, if you really have to, you should do it with your your tail between your legs and get through it as quickly as you possibly can. The, The perception in, or certainly the media perception on the other side of the pond, in the United States is that it's full of rich pastors who are only in it for the money. Now, I'm sure there's the odd wealthy one. I've never met any. Here's the big joke in ministry circles. When you move into ministry, you're choosing to be downwardly mobile. Certainly every time I have moved jobs in ministry, my salary seems to have gone down rather than up. I read an article last week, and it described the church in the U.S. as a billion-dollar industry, business. That's a rather strange perspective. I think it rather misses the point, and it certainly doesn't mirror my observation, my experience. Chatting to my brother over coffee, coffee a couple of weeks ago, and he told me an interesting story. We were sort of mulling through some of this stuff. And he said that there's a church, a particular church he was visiting in the southern United States, and he was talking to the pastor, and he said, you know, we never talk about money here because our people are so poor. And John's reply to him was something like this. That, that seems rather upside down to me. You know, perhaps one of the reasons they are poor is because you never teach what the Bible has to say about money. Interestingly, Jesus had no issue whatsoever with talking about money. In fact, he did so rather a lot. In fact, several of his best-known parables and interactions were were to do with money. Think of the story of the rich young ruler. He had too much of it. Think about the story of the prodigal son. 
he squandered his. There's also the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the talents. What about the, the parable of the widow's mind? And in fact, if you think about it, it would have been rather strange if Jesus hadn't taught about money. After all, money is rather important. We all need it. We all use it daily. We all have challenges with it. I reckon that makes it kind of a big deal. And I was, I was pondering this series, which has been on my heart for quite a while. Actually, I have to admit to being a little wary. You know, though I have confidence this is, is a strong and worthwhile and a crucial message, if I'm honest, particularly mornings like this, I'd far rather be teaching about the move of God, far rather be teaching about the gift of the Holy Spirit or, or intimacy in worship. And then as I was having those thoughts mulling around my head, it occurred to me, what is everyone talking about right now? Well, actually, it's the Queen's funeral, actually, right now. But when I first wrote this a week ago, what's everyone talking about right now? The answer is money. You know, the cost of living crisis, record petrol prices, super high inflation, interest rates going up, fuel bills and energy price caps. A concerned customer asked his stockbroker if the recent market decline and volatility worried him. The broker told him that he had been sleeping like a baby. Really, replied the customer. Absolutely, said the broker. I sleep for about an hour, wake up, and then cry for about an hour until I fall back to sleep. And so the cycle continues. But seriously, arguably, there's never been a better and more important time to talk about money. And let's face it, we really need to know. We really need to know what God thinks about it. We really need to know what Jesus thought about it. And we need to know what, as Christians, our relationship with money should look like. So with all that in mind, let's dive in. Today, I'm going to share with you what I'm calling three unworldly facts about money. Three misconceptions, if you like, three illusions, three things that we can easily get upside down, at least from a biblical perspective. And I'll tell you what they are, then we'll work through them all uh, for a few minutes each. Number one, contrary to popular belief, having more stuff is no guarantee of happiness. Not sure about that one? Just read the gossip pages in the newspaper, the ones you keep away from, of course. Number one. Number two, money makes a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And the number three, financial peace comes not from the amount you have, but from being a good and faithful steward. Think about that parable of the talents, which we will come to in a bit. So number one, first one, contrary to popular belief, having more stuff is no guarantee of happiness. From my experience, it's just a guarantee of more visits to the recycling center. Luke 12, verse 15 says, watch out 
Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. New Living Translation says, life is not measured by how much you own. Living Bible said, for real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. You know, this one is about the relationship between your treasure and your heart. It's about what really matters. It's about where true value is to be found. Think for a second. Well, what messages are the world sending us? What are we being bombarded with over and over again? Four very quickly. Number one, money is simply to be consumed, and the more you have, the better. I heard this recently called the consumption assumption. We'll come to that. Letter B, number two, only you had more, you would indeed be happy. Dangerous message. Number three, the more and brighter and shinier and newer stuff you have, the more impressed people will be. And number four, simple message, get as much as you can, spend as much as you can, and save as much as you can so you can spend it later. Do you know, both advertisers on the television are not selling to you because they love you. It's not for your benefit. It's not because they have your best interest at heart. They're doing so because they want you to part with your money. And they use the age-old tools of greed and lust and pride. Have you ever thought why nearly every car advert seems to have a scantily clad model draped over it? What is that all about? And of course, the unspoken message is always, you need more. You deserve more. But what's that slogan? Be because you're worth it. Luke 12, verse 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Think about this for a second. The spirit of the world has an agenda for your money. Put it like this. The spirit of the world has an agenda for everything. Do you not think that it has plans for your money? Makes you wonder, I wonder what schemes the enemy has for your finances. And do you think they are the same as the Lord's. Another thought before we move on. You know, I'm well aware that we live in an, an unprecedentedly materialistic society. Do I think? I think the reality is it's increasingly difficult to resist that because there's no need for any, there's only no real need for any gratification delay these days. You know, you can order it online and it'll be with you within 24 hours, mostly. And if you can't afford it, you can just pop it on credit. Stuff has never been so available. It's never been so much choice. It's never been so instant or alluring as it is 
today. Number two, money makes a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? It's found in Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to tell a bridged version of it this morning. This man had lots. In the text, it said he had great wealth. But the problem this young man had was, was not that he had money. The problem was that money had him. He was a slave to it. He served it. It controlled him. It dominated his time and attention. It was his motivation. It was his purpose. It was his fixation. Ultimately, money was his God, small g. For him, it was, Old Testament word, idolatry. An idol is something that comes before God for you, something that comes between you and God. You know, the volume of his bank account, the size of his house, the shininess of his treasures was functionally where he ascribed worship. And Jesus told him there's only one way to get past that for you, and that is that you've got to give it all away. Why? You've got to break that grip. You've got to give it away so that it no longer has this hold over you. Because at the moment, you're a slave to it, and you need to be set free. The other person who, who's a slave to money is the person in debt. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. I don't say this with any sense of condemnation, but if you're in debt, that's a very hard place to be. I'm sure you don't need my help in feeling bad about it. You know from bitter experience that debt can have a vice-like grip over you. And the likelihood is that, that if the money coming in each month is less than the money going out, you will end up in debt whether that be credit cards, or overdraft, or loans, or worse. And the result is that that debt, your debt, demands of you every single month. The interest you owe is the first thing out of your account at the beginning of every month. That can quickly spiral out of control. And I'll say that, if that is you, and we can sit down and help you with that. There are organizations like Christians Against Poverty that, that specialize in helping people escape the pit of debt. But my aim is to teach you principles that will hopefully stop you from ever getting into that debt. But the reality is, if you are in debt, you are in chains. You don't have money. Money has you, and it is a terrible and merciless master. Okay, we're doing well, folks. Number three, financial peace comes not from the amount you have, but from being good and faithful stewards. 
is the principle that I'm going to unfold for you over the next few minutes. When it comes to our money, actually, when it comes to anything, we are not owners, we're managers. It all belongs to God. We just have responsibility for it temporarily. Our role then is one of stewardship. Now, this is a, is a significant mindset, and actually it changes everything. This is what the Bible teaches about money. To set this up, I'm going to tell you an Old Testament story and then a New Testament parable. And the Old Testament story is found in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 29. And, and, and what happen, is happening here is, is the Israelites have observed that, that their God is living in a tent called the tabernacle. Whereas the other neighboring gods, they lived in big and lavish temples. And to make a long story short, as they say, David wanted to build a temple, and for various reasons, God said no. And so what David did was, was he gathered the resources so that his son, whose name was Solomon, he, he could build a temple in the fullness of time befitting God Almighty. And in the account there in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, it says that David himself gave lavishly, and so did everyone else. But let's read. Read from verses 10 onwards. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. You rule over everything. Down to verse 14. But who am I? And who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have come from you. We give only what you first gave us. Verse 16, O Lord our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. Here's the clincher. It all belongs to you. In other words, it's not your stuff. It's God's. I guess the proof of that is, is the age of one. How much of it are you going to take with you when you go? None of it. It all gets left behind. Here's a, here's a comparable example. I just want to, there's a couple of, uh, of, of, um, of people I want to give credit to. I've, I've written this kind of stuff and taught this before. But there's, two, there's a guy called uh, Andy Stanley. And uh, he's uh, quite a bit of material. I think he's drawn from some of his thinking. There's another guy called Dave Ramsey. So I just want uh, I just want to give him a little bit. He wrote a book called Total Moneymaker. I just want to give them credit as we start. Here's a comparable example to illustrate the fact that it's not your stuff. It's God's. An example goes like this. As a child, you have your own room. My one have my name on it and the keep out sign. Frustratingly, my brother and sister kept coming in, though. Annoyingly, my parents seemed to think they could come into my, my room 
whenever they wanted. They could make me clean it, and they could even move furniture in or out. Even worse, why at Christmas time did my grandparents get to stay in my room? Why was that? Because it wasn't really my room. It was my parents' names on the title these days. They were the ones paying the bills, as I'm sure they frequently reminded me. I merely managed the room. And if I didn't do a very good job, the wrath of my parents would descend and I'd be forced to dust and hoover my own room. Madness. It gets worse. You, you think you own your own house and your own land. In which case, how come the government makes you pay tax on your property? Ever thought about that? And the government think they own it. But they're wrong too. Verse 11 of 1 Chronicles 9, uh, 29. Everything in the heavens and earth, on earth, is yours, O Lord. Verse 14. Everything we have comes from you. Verse 16. It all belongs to you. Here's God's big news flash. It's mine. All of it. You're not... The owner, you're just a manager. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and all who live in it. Quite subtle. Well, I think you might have got that one. Psalm 50, verse 10, 11. For, the, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. Haggai 2 verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Now we've been taught, I think, that the tithe belongs to God. No, it all belongs to God. He just very graciously only asks for 10% of it back. Now in case that was a little too subtle for you, we're going to go again. I promised you a parable. Look at the parable of talents. Found in Matthew chapter 25. You probably know the story, but, but I'll refresh your memory. Verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and, trust, and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in a proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Now, in parables, there's usually a character that represents God the Father. There's usually a character that represents us. I think it's pretty obvious in this parable which one is which. And of course, in Jesus' illustration, the, the first two invested their money. They, they were good managers, good stewards, and it, it, it doubled. The third one, of course, buried it in a hole in the ground. Verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. None of these words are in here by accident. But verse 21, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is to number one. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Here's the point. 
our job is to be good and faithful with what we've been given. Why? Because God is the owner and we are accountable stewards. Good and faithful. Look at those words for a second. The word good in this context relates to sound financial decisions. It relates to wise and biblical stewardship. Faithful means be mindful that, that you are a steward, you are a manager, and your, your requirement is to, to be obedient and to be deferential to the master and to his wishes and to his purposes and to his principles. And here's the good news. When you are a manager, you make different decisions. If it's someone else's money, do you handle it differently? Is there not a difference between the way you see work cash and personal cash? I don't know, maybe you're dangerous with the company credit card, I don't know. The point is you, you make decisions then based, based on a different set of principles and a different set of priorities if you are a manager rather than an owner. And when it comes to the principles and the priorities, in this case, what we're talking about, we're talking about the Lord's principles and the Lord's priorities. And if you do that, if you make your decisions based on that, you won't make those decisions out of greed or out of compulsion or out of covetousness. Let's face it, they tend to be poor decisions anyway. You won't make the, the consumption assumption, which is that it's all mine to spend as I please. Instead, you'll make your decisions based on responsibility, based on accountability, based on prayerful consideration and biblical obedience. And those, of course, tend to be much better decisions. Okay, let's put all, all this together and then we'll wrap up. Here's the point that I want you to get today. It's a familiar verse. We quote it often, but it's Romans 12, verse 2, which says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So maybe, maybe we'd be looking at this all wrong. The point is, just because the world is pushing you in a certain direction doesn't mean it's a smart plan. Maybe we've been, maybe we've been tricked. Maybe we've been sucked hook, line, and sinker into, into thinking the world's way, into operating the world's way, into spending, dare I say, overspending the world's way. Maybe we've been inadvertently seduced by the materialistic, consumeristic spirit of the world. Maybe we've bought into the, the falsity of entitlement. Remember a story uh, in, a, in a little course called Good Sense Budgeting, which came out of Willow Creek, which I've run a couple of times. And in that, the, the guy says, you know, imagine you're living in your little close. And round about you, there are people, and you look, and they've got the house, and just that little big, the lovely new car parked in the driveway. They've just been on a holiday to the Caribbean. They've got another one booked in a few months' time. 
And he spent the last few years looking at them with envious eyes, thinking, if only. And in this story, he turns around and says, do you know what those people are? They're broke. Now, how they can afford it? They borrowed it. They've got loans. They've got overdrafts. They've got massive mortgages. They've got car payments. He says, the best thing you can do is one day in the middle of the night, he calls them the Joneses, go and stand out in front of their, ha- their houses, throw your hands up in the air and say, you win. I'm not playing anymore. I'm not playing anymore. You know, maybe we've, maybe we've, we, we've inadvertently turned our backs on sound biblical wisdom. Perhaps you've never even been taught these principles, in which case on behalf of churches everywhere, I wholeheartedly apologize. Now, shouldn't we go back, back to the Bible, back with prayerful heart and say, Lord, how do you want me to manage my finances? Particularly in this time of, of financial upheaval and anxiety. The point is there is another way. There is a different and a better way. There is a way that reflects the will of God, that obeys the word of God, and that follows the leading of the spirit of God. That there's a way that breaks away from the crowd, that, that divorces itself from consumeristic forces, that kills off that materialistic desire, and instead leads you into financial faithfulness and fruitfulness and fulfillment. Let's find out what that is, shall we? That's going to be the purpose, really, of this talk. Okay, I invite the worship team to come back up, please. How do we respond to to this this morning? Just pretty simply this. Just just ask God, as the psalmist did, to, to examine your heart, to search your motivations and your attitudes towards this whole topic. And there will be three challenge questions to take to the Lord this morning. Question number one is, is this, have you been suckered? Have you been suckered into becoming materialistic? Maybe even a little bit greedy. You know, again, hands up. It's very, very hard. We live in a world in which you are saturated, surrounded, and bombarded with that stuff 24-7. But have you been seduced a little? Have you been ensnared a little? And if you have, then very very simple response. Just repent of that this morning. I expect there's a a little bit of repentance we all need to do in this area. Second question, a bit more general, just throw it out there for you. Do you have money or does money have you? Do you have money or does money have you? Ask the Lord about that one. And then number three, make a decision today. Drive a stake in the ground, if you like. Make a decision to think like a manager rather than an owner. And ask the Lord how you might be a, a better and more biblically honoring, worshipful steward of what the Lord has given you. That would be a great question. I'm going to pray, and then we'll go into worship, and then I'll pass back to. Let's pray. Why don't we stand, stretch our legs.
Lord, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you are a generous and an unconditionally loving and giving God. And it's our privilege to worship you. Father, as we, as we deal with this topic, this topic does strike right to the core because as Jesus taught where your treasure is, there your heart is also and vice versa. This is a big deal. This is important stuff for us. And we live in a world that right now is in a bit of a financial crisis. Never been more relevant. And I, my, my prayer very simply is this. Over the next few weeks, Lord, would you show us how to get things in the right order? Help us to get our, our financial lives, as it were, realigned, if need be, to make sure that you are first and that you are on the throne where you belong. We might need to repent a little. We might need to ask some questions and challenge some attitudes. We might need to ask you, Lord, how can we be better stewards? How can we better handle the resources that you have blessed us with? And that's the principle, that's the purpose of this course, Lord, that you would show us your way we're not conformed to the pattern of this world. It's big, it's, bra it's brazen, it's strong, it's loud. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that we might know and seek and obey and follow your good, pleasing and perfect will. Come to it, Lord, we pray in Jesus.